Guys, are y'all ready for God's word? Yeah, I think it's important for us to declare that. It, it gives us, it gives us that, that state of mind of, okay, I'm, I'm ready, Lord. I'm ready to receive what you have for me. And I say that was my fault because uh, if I click on my iPad, I can actually move to the next screen. I think I can. There we go. I can. And so uh, I, I, I accidentally clicked it and it, anyway, it, it cut off the video. Uh, listen. We have been in the middle of a message entitled The Holiness of God, right? Not, not just the holiness of God, but living a holy lifestyle. And so we started off with the holiness of God, and that, and that brings us to a holy lifestyle. And you say, well, how does God's holiness bring us there? Now, I want to remind you of where we've been. We talked about God being completely consistent. That's what it means to be holy. His love is consistent for us. You don't have to doubt it. His love is sure. He's going to love you because he said he loves you. And what he says, he always does. Because there's perfect consistency in who he is. He's not a duplicitous God. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't have a double-mindedness where he thinks one thing and thinks another at the same time. If he says, I love you with an everlasting love, then he loves you with an everlasting love. And the way we connect with that love is through faith. The Bible says, for by grace we have been saved. Read it with me. For by grace we have been saved. How? Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast in his presence. So, so I, I want you to, to now draw your attention to, to verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now watch this, for good works. So wait a minute, it's not by works, he says, up ahead, up above, but then he says, for good works? So it's not by works, but once you're saved so that you can work, so that you have somewhere to work from. Now that's what we're going to talk about, the connection between faith and works today. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you are old enough to remember Nintendo 64? Raise your hand if you're old enough to remember Nintendo 64. How many of you had a Nintendo 64? Raise your hand. You know, that was a really cool... uh, um, Game console. I remember when it first came out, it was like cutting edge. Do you remember that? Do you remember like playing Mario on it, Donkey Kong, whatever else was on it? I remember having all those games and and being able to play on it. But how many of you know that with any game console, I'm about to sneeze. Thank you. Listen, with any game console, there's always a little glitch. There's always some problems, right? And it's interesting because as soon as I ask this, uh, how many of you experienced the problem with the Nintendo? And let me, this is the question right here. How did you fix it? Ready? There you go. Yeah, now you guys have to work on that. Because first service, which is supposed to be like my older folks service. By the way, they're not. That's like a misnomer. You go to first service, there's like a bunch of young people in there. And they're like... You blow on it. I was like, whoa. I ask you guys. And you're like, you blow on it. Okay, so how did you fix the problem? Exactly. Now, let me ask you this. This is before internet. And I, and I told one of the, the kids, like, like, like Luke, 
before, these are my young people, these are my, my teenagers, 16-year-olds, 15-year-olds. Listen, you're not going to believe this, but before the internet, you know how we communicated with each other? Yeah, smoke signals. We use smoke signals. How to, that's how we could No, listen, before the internet, you didn't have some, we didn't go like, hey, Siri, I'm having trouble with my 64. How do I fix it? You blow on it. You know, there was none of that. How did we all get to the same page without Google? It, it wasn't just word of mouth because this went throughout the country. You think one kid figured out, blow on it, and it spread throughout the country? No, there's something amazing about the human brain. When it encounters a problem, it figures out a way to fix it. It's not just the human brain. Animals do this too. There's a researcher that took cats and he put them in a box and the box had a way out and the cats had to explore to get out. You know, when the, when the, when the cat was first introduced to the box, it would take them over two minutes and on, on some, some cats would take over two minutes. Now, you might be thinking, well, pastor, we're smarter than cats. Yeah, that's debatable. Um, but but uh, it would take them two minutes to get out, somewhere around two minutes. But after they learned, the, the, the time kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. By the end of the experiment, they were getting out within five seconds. So you went from two minutes to five seconds. Why? And every cat, they didn't communicate. They didn't tell each other, hey, you go to this part and you pull this lever and that's how you get out. They just figured it out. Can I tell you, we figured out that, 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 that you know what, we had a problem because we had these games that we loved to play. And when they stopped playing and it stopped working, you would take that cartridge and you would go, right? It's like a harmonica. You go, they actually have videos on how to do it now. I think it's so funny. <laughs> they should just figure it out the way we did right before the internet. You just try different things. And finally, some of you finally get to the point where you go, Right, and then you slam it back in there, and then you take a piece of cardboard, right, and you jimmy it in there so it would, it would connect just right, and then you're playing again. Don't lose it. And, and how did we figure that out? The same way you figured out that the antennas, you know, those rabbit ears, you had to walk up and you had to hold one and you had to stand on one foot. And then you got tired of standing on one foot, so you shove a fork in there and you put some, some aluminum foil. Come on, some of you are looking at me like, what is this guy talking about? I'm talking old school, like inner city. Somebody said, Pastor, it's not just inner city. It was in the country too. Because you figure things out, right? Can I tell you, some of us are trying to figure out life. And we're grabbing the rabbit ears and we're blowing on it and we're shoving cardboards in it. And we're standing on one foot and we're putting foil on it. What I'm saying, we're trying everything we can think of. To live that way Jesus asked us to live. He said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it in the fullest way possible. And I've been trying to figure it out and we're blowing on it, blowing on it, but what if we're the problem? What if instead of us blowing on it, we need somebody to blow on us? Oh, I just went deep. See, what if you're the problem and instead of trying everything you can think of, what if you need to say, Lord, just blow on me a fresh wind of your spirit. I need a fresh encounter with your Holy Spirit. I need that faith that brings in the spirit of God that blows out all the junk and sets me on fire. That's what I need, Lord. I need you. And that's what saving faith is. Say, Lord, just blow on me. Set me on fire. My, my fire's going down. I need a fresh wind to let me blaze again. I need to catch that fire, Lord. That's what I need. We're talking about 
getting serious about the things of God. Well, how do I get serious about the things of God? Well, you need to understand that there is a position that we have. The position we have is we are the righteousness of Christ. We are saved. We are destined to reign. We have the joy, the peace. We have everything accounted for because if you are in Christ, you are a new creation and behold, all things are new and you have access to everything that God promises you. Okay, so that's my position. Well, that's also your identity and you know how important identity is. We've been talking about how important identity is. As a matter of fact, listen to this. Your position is one of faith. By faith, you take root into God's grace and love. That's the root. That's the position. You see it up there. That produces the fruit. What is the fruit? Obedience. That's the practice. Today, we're going to talk about the relationship between your position and the practice. You go, what do you mean? That means who you are and how you live. We said the just shall live by faith. Okay, faith starts it off, but it means something. You go, okay, um, yeah, that's what we've been talking about. What I'm saying is faith has evidence. Read with me. The Bible says, now faith is the substance. Whoa, wait a minute. Substance. Substance has weight, doesn't it? Substance is a proof. Yeah, listen to the proof. Listen to this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, you have a testimony. You want to know what a testimony is? A testimony shows the rest of the world that you are truly grounded and it's not just words. It's not just words. It has weight. There's a substance. There's evidence. And the testimony is your evidence. What do you mean a testimony? See, a testimony happens when you go through a test. When you stand firm and you walk it out in the midst of a test. See, how do you get a testimony? You got to go through a test. I don't know if I like that, Pastor. I don't want to go through no tests. I want an easy money. An easy money is, I just want it easy, and then I have this easy money to show. You go, what in the world are you talking about? Easy money. There is no, no, it's a testimony, meaning you go through a test and your faith proves to have substance and evidence. And that's how you bring God glory. You go, whoa, 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 okay. So then the relationship between my faith and how I live shows up in my fruit, exactly. Shows up in my practice, exactly. But too many times we don't understand the significance of that faith. And so I've been hammering and hammering and hammering on it. And I'm trying this message, I'm trying in this sermon series, the spiral approach. The spiral approach is I'll introduce something and I'll talk on it and then I'll come back on it. I'll come back on it and come back on it. Why? So that you can hear it multiple times, multiple times, multiple times. Because father, I mean, uh, repetition is the father of learning. Repetition. And so you say, okay, well, well, watch. Something that we need to, uh, I'm trying to get this thing to, to work here. Something that we need to remember is this. Many of us are results oriented. That's the first layer. This is how we tend to think about our lives. I want, I want, I want to lose weight. I want to make some more money. I want to get out of debt. I want to be better at this. I want to be better at that. But how many of us have wanted things for years yet nothing happens? 
Come on, how many of us set goal after goal after goal and never get there? We never get to move our lives that way. Why? Because you need to go to a deeper level. Instead of just saying, this is what I want, how about this is what I do? See, if you want to get out of debt, then I will what? I will save so much. I will start a snowball, uh, uh, a strategy approach to my debt reduction. I want to lose weight, so I will start a lifestyle change. I will do this. But there's an even deeper level of what you want and what you do. It, it, it goes to who you are. See, when you talk about identity, then you're talking about who am I? See, behavior that's incongruent with who you believe yourself to be will never last. What do I mean by that? I mean your behaviors are a reflection of who you think you are. If you're acting a certain way, then you got to ask, why am I acting this way? Do I believe myself to be this way? I shared with you last week some of my challenges with reading. And it started because I was, uh, my, my parents were very, very busy. I can remember being dropped off at my, mom, my grandma's house before the sun came up and being picked up after I was asleep. And they would pick me up asleep. And, and I'm not saying they were bad parents. I'm saying they were trying to make a living, but they forgot that making a living doesn't make a family. And so things were a little out of whack for a while. And I can remember being stressed at school and being kind of acting out. I don't know what was going on. I was a little kid, but, but my identity was being formed. Why? How is your identity formed? Well, well, follow this slide with me. You have yourself. And as you grow, you become more aware of yourself and you're not by yourself you actually live in an environment it's called the world and the world is connected to the enemy why because the enemy is the ruler of this world and so he uses this world to influence you sometimes he doesn't just go through the world sometimes he goes directly to you like he starts speaking in here you go whoa that's called being crazy you mean you've never been tempted here you've never been told something here Oh yeah, if you give him long enough, he'll talk to you and he'll say, that's not who you are. You're this, you're that, you're the, and he'll accuse you if you're not careful. And so, so this is what happens. I'm a little kid and I start skipping school in, 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 in first grade. Can you believe that? Some of y'all think y'all have bad kids. Try a kid skipping school in first grade. How does that happen, pastor? I'll tell you how it happens. He gets his younger brother who's in kindergarten and they do it together and he walks for eight miles to H-E-B in, on the west side of San Antonio, guys. You don't want to be doing anything on the west side of San Antonio, but doing what's right. And, and I, we were inner city kids, we were, we were skipping school, I, I would, and, and, and you go, well, that was just one day. No, we did it five days till we got caught by my aunt. And I already had it planned because I knew my Aunt Esther would drive through there uh, on her way to the hospital. She worked at Santa Rosa Hospital and she had to drive through there. And, uh, and, and so she was an RN. So, so watch this. I told my brother, when you hear that, that distinct motor sound of Aunt Esther's rabbit Volkswagen, you jump in the bushes. So I heard it and I jumped in the bushes and my brother was like, hey. And I'm like, Eric, get in the bushes. And so he jumps in the bushes too. And I'm like, are you stupid or what? No, he's a little five-year-old. Can you imagine a five-year-old walking eight miles, you know, stealing candy and toys and then hanging out at a construction site and just walking around? They were, they, if, if I had money, I'd have gotten on the bus, the Via Via bus, and then we would have been really 
like uptown. We're going Sizzler at that point. You go, what do you mean? What would you have done on the bus? No, I had it all figured out. I was going to go downtown Marriott swimming. I'm going to walk straight into Marriott and go swimming on the whatever floor. Have it marked right there on the elevator pool deck. Hey, that was my plan. Five days before I got caught. Then in second grade, there's a storm drain and I go in the storm drain. I told you guys this last, last week, but, but this is important. I'm, I'm going to tell you why it's important because I went in the storm drain. I called John to go with me and we went underground in this pipe to the creek about a quarter of a mile. Skipped school there in second grade for two days up until five o'clock. The, the school thought they had lost some kids. Why did it take them to the second day to figure it out? I remember going and my teacher was so angry and, and there were people there and she grabbed hold of me and under her breast she told me in my ear, you stupid little kid in Spanish. I know Spanish, lady. You know, she told me in Spanish, you stupid little kid, that's why you can't read, that's why you're never going to be anything, you're nothing but a little loser. Now, I get it. I caused her a lot of trouble, but she just spoke something over me. Can I tell you, that plagued me for a while. It didn't make me better. It made me worse because if you start believing that, you're going to reflect who you think you are. And can I tell you, some folks have spoken over you, and right now you're living that out because that's who you think you are, and that's how you see yourself. Can I tell you, God sees something different. Let him tell you who you are. Let him tell you that he loves you, that he is good, and you are loved, and there's nothing you can do to disappoint me, disappoint him. You, he loves you with an everlasting love, and he says you are his child, that he has is, he is moved from heaven to earth to save you in, the, in his son, Jesus Christ. And you can count on that. Instead of letting the enemy tell you who you are, you've got you to know who you are in Christ. And so, so you've got you to understand that there's something powerful. And that's why the Bible says you've got to walk by faith and not by sight. You walk based on your belief. This is, this is the evidence. Now watch this. Evidence is what you need to close the loop. What loop? It's a behavior loop. It's an action loop. Watch, a feedback loop is your identity shapes your actions, but then your actions shape your identity. You start to gain momentum. This is how it works. You believe something about yourself, then it influences how you walk. Now you've got evidence, which you believe even more, and you walk even more. You believe it more, and you walk even more, and then you go from glory to glory, or from tragedy to tragedy, because it can work against you, and that's what the enemy wants you to, wants you to believe what he says instead of what God says. Parents, this is so important. Why am I teaching so deep? Because I want you to walk out of here, not just with fluff, but with something that will change your life. Something that will change your life, that will change your children's lives. Constantly be looking at their actions and saying, how can I shape who they believe themselves to be so that they can live it? How can I constantly remind them of what God says they are so that they can believe it and live it? You are the righteousness of Christ's church. You are a beautiful church. You are saved and forgiven and God has something wonderful in, in store for foundation. Won't you believe that? See, 
What I'm talking about is this. Belief leads to walking, which leads to more believing, and evidence is in the middle. Evidence is in the middle. Okay, you go, are you sure? Yeah, I'm talking about the more you find yourself in this loop, the more confidence you build. Watch what Hebrews 11 says, okay? We've already read it out of the New King James. Go up here with me. Hebrews 11. Out of the New King James, it uses the word evidence. You already know that. But watch what the NIV says. Now, faith is confidence. The more evidence you see, the more confidence you gain. Some of us are saying, I don't have a lot of confidence in my Christian walk. Maybe you need to come back and say, Lord, I believe you. Now I'm just going to do what you told me I should do. Well, where should I start? Well, there's at least five areas, but first I want you to know there is a definite connection between your belief and your actions. Watch what James says. Thus, also faith by itself. That means I say I believe, but I have nothing to show. Watch what that is. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That means you can have a root, but if it's not producing fruit, it's dead. That's why Jesus said, you will know them as my disciples by their fruit. When they produce fruit, you don't have to look inside their heart. What their life shows tells you exactly what's in their heart. Because that's the evidence. That's the substance. That's the confidence. Watch this. But someone will say, I have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God and you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble, but they're not saved. See, you've got to, come on now. Come on. What I'm trying to get here is to have you start the new year with confidence. Start the new year with a faith that moves mountains. Jesus said, your faith should move mountains. It only takes the faith of a mustard seed. You go, okay, well, well, I'm ready to work. I'm ready to work. Well, listen to what Jesus said about the type of work we should be doing. He said this, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, who has faith in me, the works that I will do, he will do also. Watch this. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do for you, that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do. Why? Because this is what he wants. He wants you to be, gl- to be built up with the evidence, but he wants everyone else that watches the evidence of your fruit, of your faith to be built up and that he might be glorified. That he might be glorified as they look at you and say, wow, there's something special about your life. I want some of that. Amen? Keep going with me on this. What are the things we should do? Start off with the, with the, with the five basics. Baptism, Lord's Supper, Lord's Day, giving, and discipleship. These are the five basics. You go, can I add others? Add others. You find them all over the New Testament, but let's just start there. I think so many times we miss the basics. We miss the basics. And what I mean by this is this. If you believe the Lord, then you do what he says. Because that's what it means to believe. It Believe him and make him Lord of your life. So if he's Lord of your life, 
you should be baptized. Well, wait a minute, pastor. What do you mean? All right, let's go, let's go to Revelations. I'm going to build a case here. Go to Revelations with me. In Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, you see Jesus walking among the lampstands of the churches. Now, the lampstand represents the light of that church, right? We are the light of the world. And so a church has a lampstand. It should not be hidden. It should glow bright to show people the way, okay? So he's walking among, and these things he says, uh, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. There it is, works. I know your deeds. I know how you walk, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot uh, bear those um, who do evil. And you have tested those who say that they're apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, what does that nevertheless mean? If your boss is telling you something good and then he says, nevertheless, like, oh no, here he comes. That's the sandwich approach. Give them some good and give them what they need to work on and then follow it up with some good, Right? Well, here, here's what Jesus says. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You left how you first started this whole thing. How do you start a walk with Christ? Just plain old faith. God, I need you. I receive you by faith. I re- for by grace, we have been saved through faith. Watch. Sometimes you can get on this feedback loop in the wrong direction. Let me ask you, if you're turning something like this, you can make it, you can make it go down. If you turn something like this, you can make it go up. It's the same way with the feedback loop. If you start trying to please God through what you do, sooner or later you take pride in that and you will relate to God in a very legalistic way. How, what do I mean by that? You get off on the wrong foot by saying, look at what I do for you, Lord. Look at how awesome I am. I'm glad I'm not like that person. I'm glad I'm better than this person. I'm, instead of saying, by faith, then out of faith continues the works. Watch. You see it right here very, very clearly. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. See, he's not saying don't do works. He's saying, make sure they come from the right mindset. How do we know the right mindset? Because the word repent literally means change your mindset. Your mindset is off. You need to get back on the right mindset and do works that come from a real belief. You say, I I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, No, he keeps talking about this mindset. Read with me in the book of Acts. Listen to what Acts 26 verse 20 says about the mindset, that they should repent, change their mindset, and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Meaning, when your mindset is right toward God, then your deeds will follow. There it goes again. 
So if my deeds are not lining up with what I say I believe, then, you're, then you're, what you're saying is cheap and doesn't hold any water. But if, you, if, you're, if your lifestyle reflects what you say you believe, then that's the evidence you need to gain confidence and to keep walking. And that's when God says, there you go, my, my son. There you go, my daughter. Do you get this? You say, well, okay, well, I'm ready to start off with, with, with then, then go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2, because this is where we're headed. Watch this. He said, come back to how you started, right? Come back to your first love, to what you first started with. How'd the church first start? The New Testament church first started, watch the book of Acts right here. With many words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Okay, watch. They devoted themselves to knowing more about God. They honored the Lord's day. They were baptized, and they partook of the, Lord, the Lord's Supper. The first, five, the first three of the five I've listed are right there. Right there. You know what happens on the Lord's Day? You connect with God, and you connect with each other. There's fellowship, and there's the hearing of God's Word, the study of God's Word. And watch this. They were baptized. You see up there? They accepted the message of salvation and were baptized. The breaking of bread is literally the Lord's Supper. You know, I thought they ate together. No, that comes later. Watch this. Keep going with me. Let's drop down to the next verses. Verse 26. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread. There you go. Every time they came together, they partook of the Lord's Supper. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The eating is the meal. The breaking of bread is the Lord's Supper. See, the Lord's Supper is not a meal. It's a, it's a symbolism of the covenant. It's a sign of the covenant. The meal is what happens like we do on Wednesday night. We come here on Wednesday night and we eat together out there and we fellowship and we have fun and we talk. What we do in here when we partake of the Lord's Supper, that's something significant and holy. So let's, let's talk more about these things. Baptism, the Lord's Supper. Go with me. To the book of Mark, chapter 16, verses five, uh, 15 through 16. Listen to what Jesus says. Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Pastor, are you telling me that I have to be baptized if I want to be saved? You're asking the wrong question. I'm telling you, you get to be baptized if you're saved. If you're saved, you get to be baptized. What is salvation if not saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life? What does Lord of my life mean? See, some of us think Jesus is an insurance salesman. What do I mean by that? Hey, in case hell is real, I want some insurance. What kind of insurance? Fire insurance, right? No, Jesus is offering eternal assurance. What does that mean? It means you make him your Lord. He is in charge. And if he's in charge and he says, get baptized, then why wouldn't you? 
See, the question is, do I have to? The question is, why wouldn't you? He's your Lord. I'll tell you why some of us don't. Well, because I was baptized as a child, and that's turning my back on whatever. Well, because, uh, uh, you know, technically, you know, my parents would feel, I don't care about any of that. Worry about the word of God. Worry about the word of God today. Let that sink deep into your heart because it will change the way you see yourself and it will change the way you live. It will change the way you live. Watch this. Keep going with me. And I keep saying watch this because I'm so excited about the next thing. Okay, I'm going to go to the T account. Would you go there with me? The T account is where you have the law and you have grace. One on one side and one on that side. What you keep seeing in the New Testament is that is that baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs of the new covenant. They're the way the new covenant is sealed in your life. In the old covenant, you had the law. In the new covenant, you have grace. In the old covenant, you had circumcision. In the new covenant, you have baptism. In the old covenant, you had the celebration or the partaking of the Passover. In the new covenant, you have partaking of the Lord's Supper. You can see it throughout. Do you know that the night that Jesus was betrayed, that means when he was going to be crucified, they were partaking and celebrating. Celebrating the Passover. He instituted a new covenant. A new sign. He says, do this every time you come together. As many times as you come together, do it in remembrance of me. Watch what he talks about baptism in the New Testament. I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 3. Now, I want to remind you, you have the law and you have grace. Watch this. Before the coming of this faith, you were, under, you were held under the custody of the law, locked up until faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by what? Remember, you're, justifi- you're justified, that's a new position, by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under what? The the law. So if Christ Jesus, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. I want you to mark that, children of God. What does it mean to be a child of God? If you were a Jew or a Hebrew, you knew what that meant. Why? Why? Because you grew up understanding you're a, you're a child of Abraham. And all of Abraham's children are children of God. But are you, can you trace your lineage back to Abraham? No, we can't. So we were the outsiders. But here the New Testament is saying, that was the old covenant. Now I give you a new covenant. And in the new covenant, you can be a child of God. How? How? Watch this. Verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed. How have you been clothed? When you get baptized, what literally, it's a symbol of what he did for you in the spirit. He clothed you so you no longer stand in your righteousness. You stand in the righteousness of Christ. He covers your nakedness. He covers your sin. He now, when God sees you, he sees you the way he sees Jesus. How does he see Jesus? He sees him perfect and he loves Jesus and anything Jesus would ask, he would do for him. And and you say, "But, but I don't see myself that way. Well, then we go back to that identity thing. 
And if you don't see yourself that way, then you're not going to act that way. And this is what happens in baptism. Something supernatural takes place. Take, go with me to Colossians. Watch this. In him, you were also circumcised. Wait, wait a minute. We're talking about the old. He's bringing the old into the new. With a circumcision not performed by human hands. In the old, it was performed by human hands, right? They would take the male organ and they would literally cut the foreskin. But in the new, it's not performed by human hands. It's performed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And how is it performed? Read it with me. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, and now you have been raised to walk in new life. You know what ha what's happening in baptism? You are being renewed. You want to know how that happened for me? Okay, I had all that negativity spoken over me as a child. I believed maybe I was stupid. I believed maybe I'm never going to make it. I believed I couldn't read. I couldn't read. And every year that goes on, once you get past third grade, there's not a lot of opportunity to go back. Even to this day, I can still get myself all worked up. And some say, well, pastor, you have dyslexia. And I've been, I've been asked questions that you have dyslexia or you have this or you have that. And you had learning disabilities, but your brain compensated in other ways. You know what I was really good at memorizing? That's why when I got into Bible drill, I could memorize anything the Bible gave me. You want to know when it all turned around for me? I was nine years old. My dad accepted a pastorate here in, in Bastrop, Texas. And at Premier Baptist Church, I was baptized. And I'll never forget, my cousin said, how do you feel? And I was running outside. It was right by that big bell, by that big bell. And I went over there and I just rang the bell. And, and I'm being travieso. What travieso means I'm being like a menace, but not really. Because I remember telling my cousin Jerry, I feel brand new. And that bell, I remember ringing out and thinking like, man, God, you did something new. And from there on, something took place in my academics. I went from being the bottom of the class to being at the top of the class. I started doing honors work. I started believing. I started, I mean, God set me free. Let me tell you what else he can do in the Lord's Supper. Go with me to what the Bible says about the Lord's Supper. In the book of Corinthians, chapter 11, he says this, For when you were eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. What I didn't read to you is in verse 17, he says, I cannot commend you for what you're doing next. He says, I'm trying to think of something good to say about this, but there isn't any, so I'm just going to shoot you straight. And this is Paul. He's talking to the New Testament church of Corinth. Now, does this sound like the church in Acts? When they came together and had unity and God was blessing them and they were helping one another. And if someone had less, one that had more helped the one that had less. And they started with the Lord's Supper. The whole thing started with the Lord's Supper. Here, 
there's a very different thing taking place. The ones that have a lot throw a big feast and they let the ones that don't have any come in late and watch them eat. And it's creating animosity, humiliation, division. And Paul is saying, what are you doing? The Lord's Supper is not about throwing a party. The Lord's Supper is about a covenant seal, a sign where you come together and you realize what he did for you at the cross. At the cross, there is neither what slave nor free, Greek nor Jew, male nor female. We're all equal. Instead, you're bringing division. So this is what he says. He says, what I received, I, watch this. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So he's setting forth the covenant sign and seal there. Saying you do this as a new. So, so if you have faith, this is how you walk out your faith. Go to the next verse. That is why. Well, so then. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Now, I know I've been preaching the gospel of grace. And some of us may think, because some preachers say, well, this doesn't really apply to the New Testament church because the New Testament church is already forgiven, this, this, and that. But Paul is writing to the New Testament church. He's writing to the Corinth church church. And he almost, you can hear it in his voice. He says, I wish I had something to commend. Commend is something that I could say good about this particular instruction to you. But there's not a lot of good. So I'm going to tell you what I received from the Lord. Now I'm going to tell you the consequence of you not doing it like God said. This is the consequence. Whoever eats and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And some pastors say, well, man, that brings a lot of pressure on people and they start freaking out and they start not wanting to do it. And it's not, you're still missing the whole point. The whole point is not, I have to, oh my gosh. No, no, God is a loving God. He is good and you are loved. He is good and you are loved. He is good and you are loved. And if you connect it with that love, then you understand this is an opportunity to experience more of God's goodness. I will walk in this blessed, blessed thing called the Lord's Supper when I come before the Lord and I get to examine myself in a supernatural way by the power of the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, as I humble myself before you, by faith, I ask that you would shine and spotlight my life. Show me those areas that I can better glorify you, that I can reflect your goodness, that my faith could line up with a gospel faith. Some say, well, pastor, I, I, that's just too much pressure. I don't do it at all. You're missing the point. The point is this. 
if there's a curse, what about the blessing? What about the blessing? See, this is what he says. When you do it wrong, many of you have gotten sick and many died. But can I tell you in the Old Testament when they did it right, when they just honored God, they didn't have to be perfect. They just had to honor God. They were healed. Can I tell you this happened in my life? I'm not perfect. But for 20 22 years, I suffered with a debilitating ulcer disease, ulcerative colitis. And, and I couldn't get free from it. I started very young, started about 22, 23, and man, it just, it just, it robbed from me. It just robbed from me. And I always thought, well, man, I don't want to do the Lord's Supper because what if I'm, something's wrong? You know, I, I had that goofy mentality. And, and, then, and then one day um, I was in my doctor's office and I had switched already three gastroenterologists. I was seeing a pulmonologist. I was seeing a uh, rheumatologist and an internal medicine doctor, four specialists, giving me all kinds of pills. They said, we've taken you through tier one. We've taken you through tier two, through tier three, tier four. And he showed me the different tiers and the progression of medicines. Every one of them got stronger. If these don't work, there is no more option. Your body has not responded, and the only other option is to remove your colon to have a colostomy bag. And then I, I did some research, and the life expectancy comes down considerably, like, like 50 is good. I'm thinking, man, Lord, I, need, I don't share this with my church. I don't share this, but people coming up to me, have you thought of praying? Have you thought of this? Have you confessed sin? Have you done that? Have you, yeah, I mean... But I'll never forget how God set me free. And God just revealed this to me as, as he was unfolding this beautiful message in my heart. He said, you know, I set you free through baptism and I healed you through communion. We're in a Belize uh, scouting trip and it was my brother Isaac, another brother, and myself. And the Bible says when two or three in Matthew 18 come together, he is there with them. He is in their midst. We partook of communion. And I remember that spiritual moment where we just said, Lord, this is your body. I'm not perfect, God, but you have permission to spotlight my life. To show me those things that you want me to let go of. To make me reflect the beauty of your son. I know by faith that I am forgiven but I won't make light of your grace. Your grace doesn't give me permission to sin. It gives me a reason to live the best I can. God, heal my body. I don't even know if I asked him for complete healing. I just said, heal my body in the name of Jesus. And I took it, came home. The doctor said, I don't know what happened, but every once in a while, conditions reverse themselves. I said, see you, doc. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm healed. I'm healed. Can I tell you there's something supernatural about communion, about the Lord's Supper? So this is, in case you're wondering, nah, pastor, I just, I just kind of see it as, as, man, it's just crackers and, 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 and juice, and that's just water. I, I, you know, I, you're just not going to get me to, and I'm going to hit you with one last thing, and this is where we finish up. 
There's a story in the book of Luke, chapter four. We started the sermon series with this story. It's out of the book of Isaiah that Jesus is reading. And the Bible says that he came to Nazareth, which was his hometown. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. What does it mean, as his custom was? Lord, uh, baptism, Lord's Supper, the Lord's Day. It's what he did. It's what we should do. Just like the Lord's Supper is not any old thing, baptism's not just any old thing, Sunday morning is not just any old time. It's wholly dedicated to God. And if you, if you connect with that, he will transform your life. He will trans, somebody said in second service, Pastor, you said transform your life or your wife? I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> He'll do both. He'll transform you too. But watch this. As was his custom on the, on the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue. He stood up to read. And they handed him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found a place where it was written. What was written? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now, I've heard it preached that after he said this, he proclaimed to be Messiah, and they wanted to kill him. How many of you have heard that? I want to remind you of what I highlighted when I first used this verse early in the, in the sermon series. I said he closed the book, and that's important, because the Bible highlights, go to the next the next, there. He closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. Why is that important? Because he stopped mid-thought. The book of Isaiah goes on to talk about the vengeance and judgment and, and the day of the Lord. But Jesus said, that's not why I'm here. Close the book. I'm here for good news. I'm here to show grace. I'm here to show you God's love. I'm not here to condemn you. Close the book. So we got that early on. But this is not why they want to kill him. Watch. He reveals himself. Listen to this. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, meaning I am the fulfillment of this prophecy which makes me Messiah. They want to kill him. No, they don't. Watch this. And marveled. They marveled at the words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? How can he be Messiah? They're still marveling. They're not upset. When do they get upset and want to kill him? Go to the next page. Listen, but I tell you the truth. There were many widows in Israel. There were many widows that, that God could have sent Elijah to, but instead he chose a widow where? In Zarephath, a widow of Sidon, a widow that was a foreigner. Then he goes to their next great prophet. Elijah chose a foreigner. Elisha also chose a foreigner. Now out of all of their miracles, and out of all that Jesus could have highlighted, why did he highlight two foreigners? And why these miracles? 
Well, I asked myself that same question. You want to know why? Because this is the gospel of grace. Remember, he closed the, the book when the, talking about the gospel of grace. I've come to do these awesome things for you. Closed book. No judgment. Not today. Closed book. And then he highlights two, two foreigners that sets everybody in an uproar and should make us jump for joy. Why? Because those foreigners represent you and me. See, the children of Israel were in because of their they're what? They were children of Abraham, so they thought. But God says this, the gospel of grace will be for those who believe in me as Messiah and follow me in baptism and communion. Those two miracles represent communion and baptism. Look, the, 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 the widow of Zarephath, that was the breaking of bread. Naaman, that was baptism. Two foreigners, the sign of the covenant, of a new covenant. The two ordinances that mark us as believers of Christ. We believe, we're baptized, we commune with him by the Lord's Supper. They're not ordinary. Naaman thought it was ordinary. How do we know he thought it was ordinary? So this is what happens. He finds out there is, a, there is a prophet in Israel that can heal leprosy. He's covered with leprosy. So he goes to his king, the king of Syria, and he says, there's a prophet that I found out about that can heal. But he's in Israel. He says, awesome, go. I will write you a letter asking that that prophet, that the king of Israel let his prophet heal you. He shows up there with a the letter and a great offering. Why? Because that's also number four. When God does something for you, you can't help but want to give. You can't help but be generous. But, but we'll cover that next week because Jesus came as a gift offering. But watch this. He shows up there and he gives the king of Israel the letter from his king. And the king of Israel freaks out. Why? Because he reads the letter saying, hey, there's a prophet. We want him to heal my man. Freaks out. How? Tears his clothes and he says, the king of Syria is trying to pick a fight with me. Because I'm not God, this guy's not going to get healed. We know that leprosy is horrible, and he's not going to get healed. Then he's going to be ticked at me, and he's going to come fight me. This is a ploy to have a reason to come fight me. Kind of crazy, right? So here, here's where it finishes, right here. Elisha hears of his response and says, are you crazy? Do you not know God can heal him? Send him to me. So there goes there goes the commander to Elisha's house. Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. Elisha says, go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. And the commander gets angry and says, he didn't come out, wave his hand over me. He didn't ask me to do some great thing. And aren't there plenty of rivers more beautiful than this ugly Jordan? If you've ever been to the Jordan, anyone been to the Jordan? Raise your hand. I've been to the Jordan. It's not that big a deal. Some are going like, oh, pastor, how could you say that? I'm just talking about water and water. The Frio River is way prettier. I mean, just like, I'm just being honest. I, I kind of looked at it and go, I don't want to get in there. It ain't, that, it ain't that pretty. And that's exactly what this guy thought. Some of you are thinking the same thing. I don't need to get baptized. I've already done it to a tradition. I've already this. I've already that. That's just water. No, it's not. 
No, it's not. When you do it because the man of God, because Jesus Christ himself said it. And some of us, as the, as the worship team comes up, are here today, and you never know what it is to believe what Jesus did for you until you let the Holy Spirit bring you into the new covenant by baptism. Some of you are struggling with the flesh. Some of you are struggling because we have not entered into the beauty, the beauty of communion and the richness of honoring God and remembering what he did for us. And so we're still struggling. Are we forgiven? Can we overcome? We don't truly believe our identity, but it's going to happen supernaturally on that day. So this is what happens. He's leaving. He's done. I'm not getting baptized. I'm not going to go plunge myself in the Jordan. That's an ugly river. The, the prophet didn't even come out to tell me, I, I don't like this whole mess. I'm going back to Damascus. And his servant says, stop, stop. If you had been told to do something difficult, would you have done it? He says, yeah. So why don't you do what the prophet said? He thought about it for a second. He says, yeah, I'll go do it. He went, he dipped himself seven times. Seven means complete. Can I tell you what Jesus did at the cross is finished. It's complete. Now you need to seal it up with baptism. With baptism. This is what he did. He was healed. He was healed in that moment because they're, just, they're not just waters. There's something supernatural taking place. So you may be here today and something may be holding you back for, for years now. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to touch the elephant in the room. Well, I was baptized as a Lutheran, as a child. I was baptized as a Methodist, as a child. I was baptized as a Catholic, as a child. What does that have to do with Jesus? Jesus says, believe and be baptized. Well, I don't know if I want to partake of the Lord's Supper because I may, I may get all these bad things. What if you humble yourself and say, Lord, make me who you want me to be? And he unleashes a blessing in your life. What if you start coming into the Lord's house on the Lord's day and say, God, this is not just any ordinary day. This is the day where I honor you and I watch you give me rest. I watch you bless my family. I watch, oh, come on now. Third service, you always get a little bit more. So this is my prayer for you. That today you would just open yourself up to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, speak to my life. And then whatever he's telling you, I want you to come seal it up in prayer two or three in his name. Pray for healing. Pray for change in the new year. Pray that you would begin to see these steps different. Whatever he's leading you to pray for, pray. I love you, Foundation. Have a great, great week.